We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Rotoviz Best Ball Podcast Series, a Rotoviz podcast series that covers all things related to best ball leagues. Uh, I'm your host, Blair Andrews. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Mike Beers. Mike is a writer at Rotoviz and Roto Grinders, and he recently won the 2017 FFPC Pros vs. Joes contest. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining me. How's it going? Well, it's going well. I'm uh, happy to be here on the show. Um, excited to talk about some best ball. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, let's get right into it. The first thing I want to ask you about is actually the Pros versus Joes contest. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just a regular FFPC draft experts format, with the notable exception that you're playing against some of the other, you know, some of the best best ball players around. So I guess walk me through how you prepare for a contest like that. Yeah. So one thing about it, I mean, the big thing that you mentioned is. Um the competition, right? So it's um, it's other analysts, um, sort of big names that uh, a lot of people would recognize um, in my same draft, along with high stakes players. You know, people who are putting real money on, into these drafts every year, and um, that it changes things a little bit. I mean, um, you know, I was drafting a couple spots away from Evan Silva, um, and uh, Rich Rebar was in my draft as well. And you know, when I'm drafting with guys like this, um, I 
mostly I'm not expecting to, you know, find some great sleepers, you know, that they haven't thought of. I mean, these guys, they know the players better than I do. Uh, so what I wanted to do was stick to what I know best, which is, uh, you know, how to play best ball specifically, um, you know, where the value is in the draft. Um, by the time I did the pros versus Joe's draft, I'd probably done, you know, 20 or 30 best ball drafts over on MFL. Uh, so I had a pretty good idea of ADP and where people thought players should be going. Um, and you know, my team ended up being a fairly boring team for that reason. I, I wasn't reaching for, um, any guys in particular, I was waiting for, um, you know, the value to fall to me. And uh, it ended up working out. I mean, there's a lot of luck involved in winning uh, that kind of league, uh, especially given the competition and the fact that there, there are actually six leagues of um, people. And um, so I had to beat out 71 other people to be the, uh, the champion. But my team stayed relatively healthy and uh, it worked out. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Um you mentioned that you don't, you know, these guys like Evan Silva and Rich Rebar know the players better than you. Does that make you, I guess, focus more on on roster construction, lineup construction in that sort of league? Or Yeah, it it's both roster construction and um, just keeping in mind uh, you know, value I'm getting relative to ADP. Uh, for example, you know, one of the best picks I made in the draft was uh, Todd Gurley in the third round, right? And... Um, you know, he, he had a very high win rate across leagues um, in MFLs. We'll talk about that later. But, you know, I wasn't particularly high on Gurley myself. Um, you know, I, I didn't go into the season with a huge amount of exposure to him. I wasn't reaching for him in any drafts. But by the time, it you know, it was early in the third round, um, I had a, a, workout, a workhorse running back was still on the board because um, the other guys were reaching for tight ends or, um, you know, he, he was just out of favor. I was just looking to lock in the touches at uh, at a good price, and he was just sitting there for me. So I took him. It was kind of one of those picks where it's like I I don't even know if I really want him, but I kind of have to because the value is too good. Um, and that was my approach to most of the draft, um, just looking for volume and um, you know at a good price. Well, I suspect some of our listeners are people who uh, maybe they haven't played much best ball. They are coming from a redraft. Uh, you know, regular redraft within season management leagues and are ready to kind of dip their toes in or get more serious about it. So I guess what would you say is the biggest difference in how you approach best ball drafts compared to a draft with in-season management? So the biggest difference is um, the, you know, the lack of waiver wire and the fact that you aren't setting your lineups each week. It makes it a very different game from season long. Um, you know, you're drafting a very deep team uh, you have to be able to withstand injuries. Um, you know, you can't just have one quarterback, for example, which you can easily do in a season-long league. There are always players available on the wire. But um, the big thing for me is um, not having to pick the player you start each week really increases the value of um, what most people call a, like boom-bust players, um, particularly wide receivers. So later in the draft, um, I focus on wide receivers. Um, early on, I try to get running backs who, you know, who are going to have a lot of touches, a lot of volume. But um, I want those sort of deep shot. Um, you know, they may have uh, several zero to five point games in the year, but if they have, um, you know, two or three or four uh, 20 point games, I know they're going to make it into my starting lineup. And I don't have to worry about figuring out which week they're going to go off. Um, as long as I'm confident it's going to happen a few times, 
they're going to get into my starting lineup. They're going to contribute to my team, and I don't care what they do the rest of the time. And if you have a lot of those guys, um, you know, they piece together a very strong season for you in your starting lineup. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, zero running back is really popular at Rotoviz, of course, but it sounds like you tend to go into best ball drafts with almost an opposite uh, mindset. Is that accurate or? Um, not always, but, um, I, it, it tends to work out that way. Um, because you have more of those boom bust players, uh, at the wide receiver position than at running back. Uh, so it's just harder to find them later in the draft. Um, but you know, I don't stick to one strategy when I'm going into these drafts, like a zero running back or zero wide receiver or something like that. Um, I really take it as the draft comes to me and I'm doing so many of these drafts over the summer that I might end up with a, a zero RB build halfway through a draft. And, um, you know, I'll just, because that's where the value fell to me and I'll, and I'll adapt and I'll have to, um, you know, make the rest of the picks accordingly and make sure I have a balanced roster and I'm following sort of my roster construction principles. Um, once the first six or seven rounds have established how I'm going to start. All right. Before moving on, I want to remind all our listeners that you can get a subscription to a Rotoviz NFL Pass right now for 30% off. It's available through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our content and tools, and it also supports the pod. Uh, so, Mike, you have an article that will soon be up on Rotoviz about player win rates. Um, could you briefly explain, I guess, what you mean by player win rates and what you found about 2017? Yeah, so win rates, um, I really like this statistic um, because it combines both the performance of a player and where they were drafted um, you know, by ADP. Uh, it really highlights who were the best picks as opposed to who were the best players. And a win rate is um, the percent of teams that a player was drafted on that actually won their leagues. So, um, you know, if Gurley was drafted um, 4,000 times and, uh, you know, 1,000 of those teams won, he would have a 25% win rate. And uh, the the way, why it's so good is, uh, you know, a good player found later in the draft is going to be on more winning teams. And it really highlights the value of that pick. Um, you were able to uncover a lot of value there. And um, so I look at this every year, and one thing I really concentrate on is is not really you know the names associated with the win rates, um, but more the areas of the draft and the positions um, and how the win rates are distributed each year. Uh, you know, looking at this year's data, um, you know, a couple of things stood out, uh, particularly at the beginning of the draft. You know, the first four rounds or so. You had a couple of the highest win rates of any player, Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell, but you also had a lot of busts, you know, guys with uh, less than 5% win rate when uh, in a 12-team league, average is 8.3%. Uh, and that what that tells me is, um, and this is true most years, um, you have more busts than, than really big hits in the, in the early rounds. And so I'm not going to try to concentrate too much of my sort of best ball portfolio in players from those rounds uh, because I know that the you know the downside from being wrong about one of those players uh, is worse um, than the upside from being right and, and and it's really hard to be right um, you know another thing I found looking at these win rates um, and again year after year 
is uh, looking at defenses. Uh, the defenses with the highest win rates pretty much every year are um, the ones taken later in the draft. Uh, you know, the for the fourth year in a row now, the top three defenses off the board by ADP uh, all had below average win rates. They were all pretty bad. And um, you know, this tells me in the single year is I'm going to be one of the first players taking a defense in the draft. I'm going to wait until the last three rounds. Um, you know, it's very hard to predict how uh, defenses are going to turn out by the end of the year anyway. So I'm, I'm not real picky about which ones I get. I'm going to take three. I'm going to take them late. And I'm um, pretty confident I'm going to get enough points out of them. Um, so that's, that's one major takeaway from this stuff. And then um, another thing I look at is the distribution of win rates within positions. So if you were looking at wide receivers or running backs, you've got guys who have win rates as low as 2%, um, particularly guys who got injured. And then you have players who are up uh, you know, close to 20% or 30% um, in the case of Gurley. And that's a really wide range. Um, but at tight end, you only have, um, you know, it only got up as high as 14%. And um, most of the players were closer to average. There weren't any big losers or there weren't many big losers. And, and what that tells me is, I'm not really going to try to make any big bets on tight ends because even if I'm right, it's not a huge payoff for me. Um, you know, I'm not going to put all of my eggs in, in one basket because I could get it wrong. A player could get injured and that would be disastrous. And if I get it right, the tight end is probably not going to change my entire year. Um, it's, it, there just aren't that many great picks. So it's stuff like that sort of pockets of the draft, um, you know, where the most value can be found. That's what this win rate stuff really tells me. So have you found, um, I guess, sort of consistently uh, over the years, there are certain spots in the draft where you're always going to be trying to take a certain position, like you always take wide receivers in the middle of the draft or something like that? Um, you know, it's it's not always the same every year, but um, one in particular is, uh, well, there's certainly the defenses. Um, as I mentioned, I'm saving them for the end. Um, the data pretty strongly points to that being the best way to go. Uh, and then the other area I've found is um, quarterback. Um, sort of in the, by ADP, the quarterback 10 to quarterback 16 or 17 range that area has had a lot more high win rate plays than low win rate over the past five years. And it, so I went into this year uh, sort of knowing that, having looked at the data, and then it happened again this year. I mean, sort of the, really the best pocket of the draft was the uh, 10 to 15 range where you found guys like um, Kirk Cousins, Roethlisberger, uh, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, they all had above average win rates. Um, and that's an area that I was focusing in the draft. I would usually wait until the ninth or 10th round where those guys were going before I would take my first quarterback. All right. So what would you say, uh, was your worst call or your biggest miss in 2017? Um, well, I don't think those two are the same thing for me. So I'll start with my uh, biggest miss, which was, um, I had a lot of Spencer Ware exposure before, uh, he went down in the preseason. And the reason I say that's my biggest miss but not my worst call is, uh, you know, I don't know what would have happened if he hadn't gotten injured. We all know how well Kareem Hunt did. Um, and, it you know, maybe Ware would have done just as well. Maybe not. Maybe Hunt would have taken his job anyway. But it certainly didn't work out for my best ball teams. 
Um, regardless, I don't feel like I got that one wrong. Um, the one, a few that I did get wrong though, were, um, I had, I really liked Emmanuel Sanders this year. Um, then the quarterback situation in Denver ended up being a mess and he really did not produce. I also bet on a bounce back for Kelvin Benjamin and, um, between, you know, some injury and then the, the trade to Buffalo, it really did not work out for him either. I thought he would be a real, um, touchdown threat a lot of the year and it um it certainly didn't help my teams and those were guys who i thought were just very underpriced um you know their past production wasn't being appreciated in drafts and uh you know i got those wrong i mean it certainly did not help my uh, my roi at the end of the year <laughs> all right well i'll give you a chance to redeem yourself a little bit later uh but first i want to ask uh sort of a from a strategic perspective are there areas um that you think the best ball community at large tends to overemphasize? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I mentioned earlier the, um, the idea that boom bust players are very important. Um, I think it, it does get a little overemphasized though, especially when people are thinking about their picks early in the draft. Um, you know, I actually am not concentrating on that kind of player in the first, you know, seven or eight rounds of the draft. Um, I'm looking for guys who are just going to get a lot of touches. Um, they they usually are have a higher price tag, and I want to lock them in because you know more touches just means more chances to score touchdowns, um, more chances for big plays. Even if they're not known for big plays, they're they're going to happen if they're constantly touching the ball. Um, and then you know I think saving those picks for for the last you know bottom half of the draft is really the way to go. Looking for big play guys like. Um, you know, popular picks in the past have been like Torrey Smith or, um, you know, uh, Ted Ginn this year, uh, those deep threat kind of guys that'll make those splash plays. I do think they're very important, but, you know, you don't need to reach for them early in the draft or, or look for someone who um, has a very low floor early in the draft just because of the best ball format. Um, another thing I think is important and is might get a little too much attention is the idea that you have to shoot for a lot of upside, uh, you know, everywhere. Um, people reach a lot for running backs in the, in the bottom half of the draft, um, really the bottom quarter of the draft, say around 16 to 20, thinking they need to find, uh, you know, this year's, um, you know, whatever, uh, Kareem Hunt or, um, and it certainly helps to have those guys, uh, but they are few and far between, especially when you get into the teens, um, and a lot of times they end up being wasted picks. I mean, the the number of times you actually hit on a pick like that versus the reward for um, for getting the guy is is really not a good trade off. I found looking at the data, and um, so I'm focusing on wide receivers and defenses and tight ends down there, um, guys who are less likely to you know give me nothing by the end of the year. Um, so I think you need to shoot for upside, but you need to be smart about where you do it. All right, and then. Kind of the flip side of that question, are there things that you think people should be uh, emphasizing more? Um, I think it's just being smart about roster construction. Um, you know, there there's not one right way to build your best ball team, but um, there are a lot of wrong ways. And, um, you know, being flexible about how you build your team is very important. You know, you may think 
you're going to go into a draft. Um, you're going to take. You want to take wide receivers early, and you're only going to draft seven of them, and you're going to have five running backs, and you've sort of figured it out. And then, um, you know, the draft actually plays out differently. You land two great values at running back early, and you you want to change the way you're going to. Well, you should change the way you're going to approach the draft, and that's really how I look at it. You know. I'm taking the best player available for the first five or six rounds without thinking about roster construction at all, really. But after that, it becomes very important to me. I think about who's already on my roster. Okay, how you know how strong is this position relative to the others? You know, if I have no tight ends um, through nine rounds, well, I'm probably going to need three of them. But if I have two, then I shouldn't be taking any more of them. And it and I'm willing to move between that two and three at tight end, the two and three at quarterback, you know, between five and and eight at wide receiver or really six and nine at wide receiver, Um, you know, just being flexible and being able to move between that and paying attention to it. Um, I think people can let it get away from them and realize they have, um, you know, they've been picking wide receivers for, you know, six straight rounds and then they uh, see two great values later um, that they really like at the position, they wind up with eight and they're very, very, very thin at running back. Um, you don't want to get caught in that trap. You just got to keep your head up. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, you mentioned kind of, you know, seeing how, seeing what players you took early in the draft will change kind of what players you decide to take later in the draft. I guess one, one thing that people often ask about best ball where that might come into play is, the idea of stacking. I wonder if you have any thoughts on that about whether that's a smart strategy in best ball leagues or do you try to do it or not even, do you not even care about it? Yeah. So it's not really something I pay attention to. Um, you know, I ended up on my pros versus Joe's team. I had, I think five saints. Um, and that ended up working out because offense this year, but, um, it wasn't intentional. Um, it was really just how the value fell. And I don't think there's, a lot of value to stacking in these leagues. Um, you know, people seem to sort of equate it to a DFS GPP because you, you know, you're shooting first place. But the reality is, you know, this isn't a one week game best ball. You're playing over the whole season. And um, the correlation between your players week to week isn't really that important. Um, you know, the fact that a quarterback and wide receiver might have a, a great week at the same time isn't necessarily a great thing for your best ball team. Um, you're really looking to accumulate those points over the course of the whole year. And, um, you know, so if you really believe in an offense, go get multiple players from that offense. But from a correlation or just mathematical perspective, I don't think the value is really there. So I wouldn't reach for those kind of players. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the sort of different formats you play in MFL 10s and FFPC. I actually live in a state where MFL 10s weren't operating last year, so I had to do most of my best ball on the draft app. So I wonder, uh, these are all different scoring systems. Some are half PPR, some have tight end premium. Uh, How do you approach these different formats uh, differently, if at all? So I don't change my approach very much, though you certainly have to be aware of the scoring. Um, You know, on draft versus MFL, for example, you mentioned draft had um, half PPR scoring. I definitely pushed up running backs um, in terms of priority for my drafting, Um, you know, given that they just score more points relative to wide receivers uh, or relative to the other league, um, full PPR 
versus wide receivers, um, it just makes sense to prioritize them. There are fewer sort of those favorite zero RB late running backs who are going to contribute when you aren't collecting um, as many points for their receptions. So, you know, in that sense, um, I did change my strategy a little bit. And then, uh, you know, in FFPC, where they have that tight end premium scoring, um, the the pros versus Joe's competition was FFPC, used that format. And um, I really, I waited on tight end because I saw everyone else, I think, bought a bit a little too hard on the tight end premium scoring. They were reaching for tight ends. Um, you know, I ended up drafting four guys who really were not very good, to be honest, um, but they were good enough to fill the position. And I was able to, you know, build strength at other spots that I felt were more important. Uh, so I think it's really, it's a balance of understanding, you know, the extra value at the position from the scoring and understanding how everybody else is reacting to that. Um, and, you know, sort of picking your spots there. Uh, the other difference on FFPC is you have those much bigger rosters and you have the kicker position. Um, so I'm more willing to do something like take, uh, you know, I might take four defenses in um, in a league with a 28-round draft as opposed to only 20 on MFL, um, something like that, or four kickers. Uh, really bolster a position that I'm not as, as confident in my um, ability to predict. Um, you know, I want to be deeper there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's really interesting. You mentioned how a lot of people see the tight end premium scoring and they think uh, they have to get one of the elite tight ends. But you, kind of like you mentioned, in my experience, what that does is increase the value of the late round tight ends even even more. So uh, you don't necessarily have to approach it the way you might initially think. Right. I think the big advantage is really for maybe the top three tight ends, the ones who are getting, you know, a lot of volume relative to everybody else, because there tends to be kind of a tier break there. But then the next uh, sort of level of them, you really don't need to push them up as much as in your rankings. And I think people do um, in spite of that. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. One thing I want to ask you about that I know people ask about often is uh, how much you worry about your exposure to specific players. Um, you know, do you want to try to have pretty precise uh, exposure or is that something you don't pay as much attention to? Uh, so I do pay attention to it um, because I play a lot of leagues. You know, I, I think if you're only doing, you know, five or ten um, best ball leagues throughout the year, then you really can just ignore it entirely. Um, just take each draft, you know, as it falls and don't worry about your exposure. But if you're playing more like 50 to 100 or even more like some people do, it is worth paying attention to. I already mentioned um, 
the risk involved in concentrating and guys early in the, in the draft. Um, you know, those first few rounds, uh, you know, David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell this year, you know, they were the one and two picks and, you know, some people picked Bell over Johnson, you know, but it was really a, you know, a lot of people saw it as a coin flip. And if you were really concentrated in Bell, you did great this year, uh, you know, almost certainly, unless you really screwed up the rest of your drafts. But um, if you were really concentrated in David Johnson, you really got screwed. And, you know, right next to him, you found Odell Beckham, who had a terrible win rate, right, because of his injury. And, um, you know, it's just, to me, it's not worth the risk there. I mean, I think you really, really, really have to be confident in that pick. And almost nobody is good enough to justify being that confident um, in those early round picks. There are busts every year that we don't see coming for reasons that we couldn't possibly see coming. Um, it's just not worthwhile. Um, so, you know, I would hope to limit, you know, I wouldn't want more than 20% exposure um, to one of those guys early on, um, you know, if I really like them. But uh, later in the draft, I don't mind taking shots on players if I really like them. Uh, you know, for example, I was very high on Ted Ginn this year, and I was happy to draft him, you know, basically any time he fell uh, near his ADP. Um, and if that meant, you know, I had close to 30 or 35 percent exposure to him, it wasn't as big a deal to me because his ADP was much lower. It was in, you know, maybe 10th, 11th round. Um if I if I was wrong about him, you know, being wrong about um, a pick that late in the draft is not going to sink your team like being wrong on David Johnson would be. Uh, so it's just a better risk reward um, kind of thing. And that's where I think, um, you know, if you're confident in your, in your ability to identify these players, you know, that's the better place to take your shot. Is there like a maximum exposure, sort of a, an upper limit you would have for a player even in a Later round, like you mentioned, 35% dead gain. Is that about your upper limit for a late round guy? Yeah, I think so. But it, I didn't really arrive at that scientifically. It was really, um, that's kind of how it's played out the past few years. And when I've gotten to that point, I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, with the number of drafts, um, you know, I, I do. Uh, it's hard to get one player, you know, more often than that, unless you're really reaching versus ADP. And that's something I really don't like to do. Um, you know, I pay close attention to ADP. I really want to get guys later than they're typically being drafted um, because I know I'm going to do another draft next time and he might be more expensive. And sort of across all my leagues, I'll have, um, you know, a, a better value um, or a better average cost if I approach it that way. So I'm not going to reach for one guy in, in every single league to end up, you know, with greater than 50% exposure or something like that. Are you at all worried about being over-diversified and not kind of maintaining a tight core of players? Um, I, I don't really worry about that. Um, you know, I think you can. there are multiple ways to win. Um, you know, it, even the, like, Todd Gurley this year had a 31% win rate in F, M, MFL 10 leagues. Yeah, but that means he had a 69% loss rate, right? You didn't have to have Todd Gurley in order to win your league. Um, you didn't have to have Le'Veon Bell. You didn't have to have, um, you know, any of the guys or Alvin Kamara. Um, you can, you know, so I don't think you have to really put your eggs um, on any one or two or three baskets. You, If you draft smart, you draft value, you, you build, you know, roster construction that makes sense. You can win without placing those big bets. So I don't really worry about it. 
All right, I promised you I'd give you a chance to redeem yourself. So what was your best call or your biggest hit in 2017? Um, so I guess a couple of them who were drafted around around the same area of the draft were um, Adam Thielen and um, uh, Ted Ginn were two guys who I really bought into. Um, Thielen, particularly early in the offseason, um, I thought he wasn't getting nearly enough respect. You were getting him in the sort of the uh, double-digit rounds. Um, he had just had a great year, very efficient receiver, um, and even, you know, pricing in some regression from his great year with, um, you know, Diggs coming back um, it, healthy and everything. He was way underpriced, or at least that's how I felt. Um, he picked up a little bit of steam over the offseason, so I wasn't drafting him as much, you know, in August. But um, it re- that one, and, and I, you know, Big plays, catching passes from Drew Brees, it seemed like just an ideal um, environment change for him. And it took a very long time for his price to catch up with the potential there. And again, he had a you know sort of an up and down year, but that's what you expect from him. And he was priced appropriately for that. And he ended up helping a lot of, uh, a lot of best ball teams. All right. I got kind of an imaginative question here. Suppose you could go back in time to before you started playing best ball. Uh, what's the best advice you'd give yourself? not related to player evaluation? I think it would be um, don't draft a defense before the 17th round would be uh, one piece of advice uh, that I'm very, very confident in. Um, I think I probably, the first year I played, I made that mistake a few times. Um, And then also, you know, the the idea I mentioned earlier, just, um, you know, letting the draft sort of develop, finding finding value early, and then paying attention to how your roster works fits together in the second half of the draft, you know, um, and being patient, you know, you're going to have players, um, you like every year and, um, you don't have to reach for them if you're going to do more than, you know, two or three drafts, uh, you know, reach for them in your season long leagues or, or your home league where, you know, you're not going to have another chance to get them. Um, but if you're doing a bunch of best ball leagues, just be patient. You know, you, if somebody reached for the player you really wanted, you'll get them next time, um, at a better price. And, um, I think that's really important to remember. Yeah. Uh, I want to, Shift gears a little bit and talk about an article you wrote a couple of years ago. Really interesting strategy piece about uh, a hyper fragile draft strategy, um, where the idea was you take three sort of elite running backs with your first three picks, and then you know that was it for your uh, lineup construction. Um, I guess in 2016, the ADP kind of made this really possible and made it successful. I wonder if this is something. Is this a strategy you look to use in other? in other seasons or is it just the particulars of how, how the ADP was that year that made it work? Yeah. So I think, um, it, it did end up, it ended up working in 2016. Um, but I wouldn't, and, and I did try it, um, a couple times in 2017, but it really was about the ADP, you know, the way things, um, running backs were, the prices were just so depressed in that 2016 season that you could get, Pretty confidently, you could just go into the draft and think, I can get three top 15 running backs, and um, then I can go from there. Um, this year, uh, going into this season, things had really corrected quite a bit. Um, wide receivers didn't have as strong a year in 2016. 
Um, they weren't, you know, the first four picks uh, off the board anymore. And uh, it was just harder to get three of those top 15 running backs this year. So, you know, when I had a chance to, um, typically it was when I had an early pick. So something like Le'Veon Bell and then two running backs at the second and third round turn. I might try it then. But um, it was really sort of a unique opportunity in 2016. Um, you know, and I... I only came up with the idea because I noticed the trend that running backs were just so much cheaper than they had ever been in the past. And, um, I, you know, that was how I decided I would take advantage of it. But, uh, if you don't have that, that sort of mispricing or that opportunity, it's not something that you should try to force into your, your roster because that, that really sort of defeats the purpose. You were really trying to take advantage of the, um, the mispriced production by trying that strategy. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I know, Draft has already started their best ball leagues for the 2018 season, and I've been in a couple where maybe there have been only two wide receivers taken in the first round. You know, really extreme the other way. Um, sort of seems like an overcorrection. I wonder if, is there an opportunity to do something sort of the reverse of this uh, this strategy, do you think? Uh, absolutely. I mean, if it, if it continues that way, um, I, there's definitely, you know, I, we have to consider the context of the league and you know it's two years in a row now that wide receiver scoring has been down at the top of the draft but um that doesn't necessarily mean that we should abandon the wide receivers um i think you're having if that you know if drafts like you just described continue to happen um i'm almost certainly will be moving to more wide receivers early i mean that's what I mentioned earlier about not going into drafts with uh, like a zero RB or zero wide receiver strategy in mind, um, really going to adapt to what uh, everyone else in my draft is doing. And um, and if that's what's happening, absolutely, I think um, the winning move is going to be, uh, you know, sort of zagging from that um, and not falling into the idea that, you know, everyone else is taking them, so you better get yours while you can. Um, they're just like with the tight ends in, um, in FFPC, if, if people are overvaluing one position, you can really, uh, make off well by, uh, by attacking the, the value they leave on the table. I just want to follow up on the hyper fragile strategy. I wonder even if the ADP, uh, doesn't necessarily fit the strategy, are there sort of theoretical elements of it that you maybe look to employ, uh, no matter the lineup construction you're going for? Um, well, it's really the idea of um, sort of balance between the positions. So, you know, with the hyper-fragile strategy, you were only drafting three running backs because you were using so much draft capital on them. And and they should be able to generate enough production for you to win. Um, you know, and that idea always applies. So, you know, if I if I were to use an early pick on, like, Rob Gronkowski, for example, I've already invested enough... Um, draft capital at tight end that I know I there's no point in taking three of them. I'm going to end up with sort of an off-balance roster. And um, it, so you apply that logic to wherever the, you know this year's value um, is falling, and you might end up with your, your hyper-fragile wide receiver strategy this year if it would, would, you know, maybe only drafting five of them or something. Um, you know, it could play out that way using the exact same thought process. What would you say to the person who's in a position I suspect maybe a lot of people are where they have played best ball maybe a year or two but are not 
yet very successful at it, not yet profitable. Uh, what's the best way you think for them to improve? Um, I think one way is to sort of read up on the, the you know stuff that's written out there by not just myself, but a lot of other people about roster construction, just because, um, it's, it's an easy way to shoot yourself in the foot. Um, you know, with, uh, a roster construction that doesn't make sense, you know, something like taking four quarterbacks in an MFL 10 or, um, you know, only drafting, um, five wide receivers late in the draft, you, 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 you don't want to, you can easily improve your game if you were making mistakes like that. Um, and then also, you know, try to figure out why, um, you didn't win last year. Um, so what I like to do is I look at who were my most drafted players, um, look at the top of the list, um, you know, uh, the ones that were misses. Uh, is there any pattern there? Are there any guys I, you know, was clearly favoring that I shouldn't have? And, you know, or the the big winners who I missed out on. Why did I miss out on them? And really, I mean, you're not going to make you're not going to get a lot of calls or, or, you know, an excessive amount of calls wrong every single year. So, you know, just come back with a mindset that you're going to you're going to look for value you don't have to make big bets. Um, and, you know, as long as you're drafting in a, um, you know, in a patient, thoughtful way, uh, you can come back and win uh, pretty easily without having to do anything drastic. Yeah, we kind of mentioned, you know, 2018 best ball leagues are already starting up, getting ready to get going. I wonder how are you planning to approach 2018 at this sort of early stage? Yeah. Um, well, my approach every year is um, I like to get into some drafts early on just to see how um, how other people are drafting. Um, you get a feel for ADP. And then I, I kind of sit back and um, try to figure out, you know, what what's going on this year. Um, you, like two years ago, it was that running backs were very cheap. Um, you know, last year, I noticed they had bounced back and think about how that should affect my strategy. You know, if um Figure out, you know, if I have the an early pick or a late pick, how the drafts are playing out, and um, you know what makes the most sense to attack early versus late. And um, really, I, I'm sort of in a, um, uh, I'm an observer at this point, and then I'm going to develop a strategy probably within the next couple of months that may be two months after, depending on what happens in the the market or ADP. But um, it's really about being flexible and um, and seeing how the cards are dealt in front of me. All right, cool. Uh, anything else coming up for you in the future? Any articles we should look out for? What are you up to? Um, <laughs> yeah, so well, you mentioned that uh, I've got an article on player win rates coming out on Rotoviz pretty soon here. Um, it'll be you know within the next day or so. And then from there... Um, I'll do another or sort of an update of last year's article on roster construction, um, looking at win rates there, seeing if there are any patterns that we can learn from. And, um, you know, at that point, uh, usually I'll go into, you know, I'll, I'll look into some something like a strategy or, or, or a bigger project um, after I've sort of uh, taken care of that initial data and analysis. Um, you know, this is around the time last year I did a um, – a big project on uh, optimization of um, roster construction optimization, and um, ended up being a you know a multi-part article. And um, 
you know, that's the that's the kind of thing that maybe just to look out for uh, sometime soon, but maybe a couple months out. Um, hopefully, in the meantime, I'll be um, you know I'm active on Twitter. Um, I post a lot of charts on player performance and stuff like that. So that's certainly stuff to look out for. All right, cool. Be sure to look out for all that stuff. Uh, that's going to do it for today's edition of the Rotoviz Best Ball series. I'm Blair Andrews. You can find me on Twitter at am I the real Blair. Special thanks to our guest Mike Beers, who you can find at Beerswater. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Best Ball series. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us by email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter, at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. believe it that gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets look here comes a 1.7 percent decrease in fixed overhead hello everybody no i can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with geico who are you the projected increase in organic q3 revenue hooray believe it geico could save you 15 percent or more on car insurance Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi! So, about the kitchen. Turns out, when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.